You're listening to Black Neon Digital Podcasts, Episode 1. Craig Crawford, ex-Burberry VP who puts a sparkle into fashion tech. Welcome to Black Neon Digital Podcasts, a series of thought-provoking conversations with the people behind businesses and brands that make a difference. I'm your host, Jodie Muta-Hamilton, and I'll be getting to know visionaries who are at the forefront of fashion tech and ethical style. I'll also be exploring our relationship with technology and the impact it has on craftsmanship within the fashion industry. I believe the future of fashion is to find a holistic approach that harnesses technology whilst keeping crafts alive, to push the boundaries of possibility and to support each other to create businesses that can provide growth without harm. I hope listening to our discussions inspire you to be the change, start the business you've dreamed of, discover new ways of thinking and connect with other like-minded people who are doing something in their own vision to make a difference. Come on the journey with me, keep listening, subscribe via iTunes and SoundCloud, join the conversation via Instagram at Black Neon Digital, Twitter at Digital Neon and our website blackneondigital.com. Responsible for creating and executing the world's most aspirational digital fashion at Burberry, Craig Crawford knows how technology can transform a luxury brand like no one else. Working alongside Angela Arends, Craig set the standard that fashion brands dream of being able to reach. Craig and I met whilst I was marketing manager at mobile messaging platform Novastone. In the role of advisor, Craig's knowledge and connections were invaluable to the startup business. Working on a collaborative project with Novastone and Proximity Insight, we launched at Salesforce's Dreamforce, the world's first messaging app that used iBeacon technology and CRM data to offer customers a unique in-store experience. By truly understanding the relationship between employees, technology, branding and customers' needs, Craig's unique vision helps many fashion and tech businesses to achieve remarkable results. Today we'll hear how Craig came to be the man to know in fashion technology and why he believes the future of fashion is to get a mobile life. Hi Craig, thanks so much for joining us today. You're a super busy man, so I'm happy we actually made this work with your crazy schedule. <laughs> Thank you very much for having me and yes, it's been, it's been rather crazy, but it's all coming together. Could you just give us a little bit of insight into how you came to have such an amazing understanding of fashion and technology, but about your sort of personal background, you know, fashion, retail, family life, etc.? Sure. I actually started my career as a textile designer. I started in New York um, working with The Gap, um, and I had to use CAD CAM systems to to design production-ready artwork. And so that's actually how I sort of fell into technology with fashion. But before New York, um, I actually grew up in Virginia. And I actually grew up on a farm. Um, And I thought I was going to grow up to be a journalist, interestingly enough. Um, I sort of got bitten by the journalism bug in junior high school and learned to type um, actually before, I think, early junior high school, maybe even elementary school. 
Um, so I type 85 words a minute, funnily enough. Um, and I just did a, a I just did a, an event for Savile Row called Savile Row Reimagined, and I I aligned my career and my growth with technology. And funnily enough, many of the things that started that we use as foundation today started in in the 60s, which is when I was born, because I am that old. Um, <laughs> but they all sort of matured when I did. So I'm sort of an original millennial, I guess. But I, I learned um, uh, mainframe computers at university just because they were there, and we had to, um, to file stories and to create the newspaper. So I was never afraid of technology. It was just something that was part of my life. Yeah. Um, and but evolved it was, with you. Sort of yes, well, but yeah. very early on, and, and like learning a second language, right? Children mm-hmm. who learn to speak a second language at home when they're young don't think twice about having learned a second language Mm -hmm. whereas an adult it's much harder when you start something new yeah Yeah. so that's sort of my background and then from there I moved into setting up technology to start Old Navy and from there I moved to Liz Claiborne where I stopped designing and worked with designers and merchandisers product developers so forth and so on and Liz was acquiring brands so I worked with a number of different brands 40 actually by the time my 10-year career there ended so um lots of brands lots of fun lots of tech um and lots of challenges with that and then started my own consulting worked with Tori Birch when she was a startup came to London to work with Burberry as a consultant and um well there you go and I've been here since yeah Yeah. (laughs) Working alongside Angela Arends, you elevated Burberry as a renowned digital innovator. We've often talked about commitment financially and emotionally to legacy systems and ways of working. What resistance and support did you encounter which such a huge vision for Burberry? That's a very good question. I remember one of my first meetings with Angela when we went through, just from a product development perspective, um, outlining what we could do, um, removing old ways of working and and bringing in new systems. And Angela literally drew a line in the middle of the work. She asked me first, how long is this going to take? And I said, well, I'm hoping to do this within a year. And she drew a line through the middle of it and said, no, two years. Um, Very lucky to have worked with Angela, who understood that change was and is not easy. Um, And she said to me, the brand is going through a tremendous amount of change, both in what we do and how we behave. And technology is a part of that. And to do too much too fast would be difficult. Um, There was always a challenge. New things are difficult to embrace, new ways of working. And there were lots of moving parts at Burberry. Unlike everything. I mean, there's lots of moving parts in in any brand. On such a big scale, though. Yes, yes. And, And so when you're looking at an organization that's now moving to more of a global behavior, um, standardizing ways of working and and even breaking down siloed ways of working and having people work differently, technology can facilitate that. Um, And we looked to technology to do that. At the same time, the rise of social media started. So it wasn't like we sat down and had a game plan in the beginning. And I often tell this story that... I don't want to say we made it up as we went along, but we almost did because we could and because we had to and because we had really smart people working together and we were all empowered to embrace that change and everything was tied back into the brand's strategic initiatives and the brand's heritage Mm -hmm. and understanding the brand DNA. And if it didn't fit into that, Mm -hmm. then we weren't going to do it. Right. It Mm -hmm. didn't happen. And... 
that's why Burberry has been so successful with it, with all of its digital transformation, because first you need to know who you are, yeah. where you've been, and then determine where you're going. Mm -hmm. And a lot of brands don't do that branding exercise, mm -hmm. or they don't take the time to think about that, or, or keep they... keep it separate sort of thing. Yes, to and they're not separate, yeah. and they're not separate. One company who are leading the way with enhancing customer engagement within luxury retail, Proximity Insight. Could you tell us a bit more about your role with them? So I met the founders of Proximity Insight um, about three years ago now. Wow, I can't believe it's been that long. And um, Chris, one of the founders, and I um, sat down for coffee, and that coffee ended up becoming... Um, three hours and we decided we needed to spend another three <laughs> hours the next day yeah. and how are we going to cram things in um, and actually I have to tell you um, based on that and 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 how my consultancy has continued to grow and go over the past um, three four years um, I actually now do look at least once a month setting aside one of these coffees that I know is going to be three hours because they're super important when minds connect on a topic and we really did see eye to eye on the future of retail how important it was for store employees to be empowered. We had implemented at Burberry something very similar to what Proximity Insight was doing, but Proximity Insight had, quite frankly, improved on that um, and added location-based technology, mm -hmm. which was amazing. You and I know that because yeah. we worked on a, a project for that that we launched at, at Dreamforce mm -hmm. and at Salesforce's big yeah. <clears throat> conference in San Francisco. And um, yeah, I started as an advisor, just talking to them about retail and helping them out with retail strategy and um, and worked with them as advisor for a couple of years and implemented the technology. And now they're grown up. They don't necessarily need my advisory work. Um, they're still in my network of partners, and I still introduce them to clients um, whenever I feel that it, it it's important to do so. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, to me, what they do is what every customer wants and that is understanding where you've been where you've shopped what you've looked at what you've bought and helping you build your wardrobe and helping you you actually have a better experience with that brand um and they've gone on to be quite successful with a number of clients globally so i'm super proud of my work with them and my relationship with them yeah i think that you've picked up on quite an interesting point there which is you essentially get brands to the point where they don't need you anymore, <laughs> which yeah. you know, yeah. is a bit like a mothering kind of thing. But yeah, when they don't need you, you know your work's done. And, yeah, I've done my job. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. Um, Matches Fashion began with bricks and mortar, um, with the online store coming later. As I know Matches is one of your clients, do you feel that having a history of physical before the online presence gives a different approach to retail? I think, I think it does. I mean, I come from retail. I obviously come from design, but I, I've worked in <clears throat> retail. I've worked in the shop floor. I've done all sorts of things in, in retail, from you know shop floor to management to runner to whatever. Um, and I think the reality is when you've got retail and fashion in your blood, it's just there and it's kind of hard to remove. It's, <clears throat> it's pretty funny when you think about it and when you meet fellow retailers. Uh, we, we all sort of share the same passion for that. Um, E-commerce is only 23, 24 years old, whereas bricks and mortar is as old as we've been having marketplaces, yeah. or, or almost anyway. Um, and I think, you know, the curated view of product um, with good customer service has always been the backbone of bricks and mortar. Mm -hmm. And 
people looked at online and didn't understand it, much in the same way people didn't understand social when it came along. Um, and I find it tremendously sad that many retailers still look at e-commerce as a separate silo, a separate revenue stream, mm -hmm. when in fact e-commerce is part of the um, brand's footprint. Mm -hmm. and, and now we know people browse more on a mobile phone than they do online uh, or on their computer, on their desktop. And we know that for great brand awareness, they need to find you online. They need to, they usually do a little research. They want to understand more. They want to, before they make the effort to go into the store. So the, the two work together. They're quite complementary. And I think Matches does an amazing job of that. Their stores are galleries. Their stores are no pro, no two stores are the same. The product isn't the same. And they understand how to move product. They understand how to merge physical and digital. The staff is incredibly equipped with tools to do that. They also are amazing stylists. They're hired for their understanding of luxury fashion and marrying the consumer's need, the customer's need with what they mm -hmm. offer. So but really personalizing the, yes. the whole experience. Yeah. Yes, and then yeah. and then the ability to move stock, you know, anything that is a key item or a basic is not in store. That's something that you can order online. The team will, will do that for you. But you can browse the entire collection online and create wish lists and then the sales associates in store know what those wish lists are and they're able to move product around and set up appointments for you for you to, to, to kind of have the ultimate in customer service. Which is great. I mean, that you know, I don't just shop there because they're my client. I shop there because the experience is amazing. They understand the products that I like. It's an incredible curated view. And I can browse it online. I can see it in store. I can try it on. I can shop in both places. So... A real yeah. synergy of the whole kind of experience. Yes, yeah. and I think if you just tackled it from a purely online experience, you're going to lose out because, I mean, I come from design, as I said. You, we touch things. Designers say, I really like that jacket, and then we start touching the other person's clothing. We just do that because we want to understand how it feels, how it was made. We like the color. We like yeah. the depth, the texture, all of those things, and those things are important, how the clothes feel on you, and how do they make you feel when you put yeah. them on, Right. You know, yeah, the we all know. Yeah, yeah, we know yeah. a good pair of shoes makes us feel ready for the business meeting, or ready for a, a, a date, or you know, or ready to go running. It depends upon what what your event or your activity is. You wear the appropriate footwear. You wear the appropriate clothing, and it and and it's emotional for us. Yeah. Even when men don't want to stick out or be known for what they're wearing they want a comfort in knowing that what they're putting on helps them blend into the background and not be seen so even though men may say they don't have an emotional response they do they just yeah, don't want one that's overt objective. yes yeah. they want yeah. one of comfort yeah yeah so news of jaeger's collapse recently into administration came as really sad news to me one of the reasons cited has been a lack of understanding of their core customer something that analysing good data could help them work out. How do you think a story like Jaeger's could be different harnessing technology? Well, I'm, I'm not sure if you're aware, but Jaeger actually was a client of mine. Um, and I think they did an amazing job, actually, with technology. I think they also understood that they were a brand in transition. They understood that their customer who started, or not started out because they're 160 years old approximately, but they're, you know, Marilyn Monroe shopped them on the King's Road, 
And if Marilyn Monroe were still alive, she would be dying. I know that sounds like a silly thing to say, but the customer base at Jaeger, in fact, is aging and um, and unfortunately dying. And so the brand recognized they needed to, to do something to change that. To change who your customer is is difficult to do when you've been on a journey for a long time. And I think Jaeger did a very good job doing that or trying to do that. I think, and they put in a lot of interesting technology that helped them to understand better who the customer was, to make recommendations to the newer customer and the existing customer. And they did a lot to open up stock and, and to be more <clears throat> agile and more digital. I think, however, the biggest challenge for Jaeger was going back and reevaluating its heritage and saying, based on our heritage, who are we? It go, and, and therefore, what, how do we behave and what do we do now to be modern and relevant? I think that, unfortunately, the brand took some shortcuts in trying to establish its DNA. I don't think they... It sounds terrible to say, and I don't mean to be negative, but I don't think they 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 really did enough soul searching and tied everything back to what their legacy is and how that le legacy is modern and relevant, mm -hmm. um, and therefore behaviors weren't consistent. And when behaviors aren't consistent, that confuses a consumer. I also think they didn't want to let go of the sale mentality. And while logically that works, and that has worked for them for a while, over time, and, and I was having a conversation, I think, with you earlier about this, that the, you know, we're, we're learning more about how our subconscious brain works yeah. and, and, and our, our logical brain works. And while the logical brain is very excited about an offer and a savings and a sale... Our subconscious brain doesn't align to that over the long period as something that is meaningful and emotional. Instead, it's more of a quick fix. And so what we actually see in, in implicit research is that while the spike of activity at a brand is good, the longevity overall is not. It do, the, the loyalty and affinity to that brand, the relationship doesn't grow. It plateaus and remains where it is. So if you are spiking with a sale and plateauing where you are and spiking with a sale and plateauing where you are, and your customer base is dying off, mm -hmm. then you're not plateauing, are you? You're going down. Yeah. Uh, I, I also think that administration is a temporary thing for Jaeger, and I'm hoping that its new owners will re-evaluate the brand heritage. So, so many people want to see that brand survive yeah. because the quality is amazing. It's yeah. amazing people working for that brand and working together to make this happen. So hopefully with new ownership and a bit of restructuring, they'll come out of this stronger than ever. And you know what? It's sort of like gardening, isn't it? You have to prune a, a bush to make it flower more than perhaps some of this is necessary to really help invigorate Jaeger and, and help it grow. Yeah. So I haven't given up on Jaeger no. yet. Using technology can often be seen as a bit of a marketing tactic, so very short-term thinking. Um, how do you feel tech can influence long-term change and customer experience rather than just a passing trend? I think tech for tech's sake is fun if maybe you're in, in IT or you're sort of you know, a nerd yeah. on the Big Bang Theory, except that they're not about tech, they're about <laughs> science. But you know what I mean. It, <clears throat> gadgets are gadgets, and they all can be fun, and then they they fade, and, and it becomes a fad. And, and I think any brand looking at digital needs to look first at who they are. I've said that three times now, <clears throat> so I hope 
I hope people understand that's so important. And then you look at technology that's relevant to help you achieve your goals and your objectives. And some of that technology is super sexy and upfront, and some of that technology is behind the scenes and not so sexy. Yeah. I think what's different now is that it's all affordable, whether you're a small brand or whether you're a large brand, you don't have to have a giant IBM implementation. I love the folks at IBM, don't get me wrong. You don't have to have a giant SAP implementation. Again, those guys are amazing, but they're not right for small, small brands, perhaps. Um, but now platform as a service and software as a service, there's a lot you can do. And so you need to think about what do you want to do? And then you go out and look for the appropriate tech to do that. I remember when augmented reality came out and we were looking at it at Burberry and we used to giggle and say it is a solution looking for a problem. Yeah. And now when you see the likes of Blipper allowing you to point your phone at an apple and it tells you nutritional value or the type of apple it is and if it's right, ready for just eating or whether it's better for cooking yeah. or baking, that's helpful stuff. Mm -hmm. And when Blipper started, you could point at a magazine cover and it would spring to life. Mm, okay, that's interesting, but it's not as... Yeah meaningful. So I think when tech adds value to our lives, we're all time poor, when it helps us save time, when it helps us save money, when it helps us interact better with mm -hmm. a brand, and when a retailer can use a digital method to understand you better, so when you come into that brand, you get superior service, and and they know what you're looking for, they know you want to be waited on, they, they know you want to be left alone. Yeah. Those things are super important to people when they shop. So I think there's a lot of new newness in tech that helps to do that, but it needs to work in conjunction with a brand's strategic mission and yeah, strategic that aims objectives, and, yeah. that aims, yeah. yes, and, and bear in mind what the customer wants. Mm -hmm. And some customers do want gimmicky cool stuff, yeah. and that's okay. Save it for a pop-up shop. Have some yeah. experience where people come in and do something really cool, but that doesn't necessarily become your core behavior in the brand. That can become a... A side thing. Yeah. yeah. Does that make yeah, sense to that you? That makes yeah. sense for sure. Um, using a mobile device, affluent tech savvy customers expect a high level of experience and ease of purchasing. How can this be achieved and how can brands without huge budgets get somewhere near to achieving this? So you've said we don't need, um, you know, the big IBMs and, and things like that. How can smaller brands achieve great service? You know, there's a lot of there's a lot going on in this space. <clears throat> um, at Jaeger, for example, the the cost of putting an iPad Mini in and having that become a, a point of sale um, was something like, gosh, I'm going to get this wrong, but a fifth of the cost of doing a, a full on cash till or cash point, yeah. right? Which is inflexible and can't be moved. So, there to to be able to have Mobile payments within the store means you have stores that are now configurable. You can move space around. You can put in five instead of one. Um, and there are so many players now that, you know, I'm sure you've taken a taxi. Um, obviously now black cabs in London take cards. Um, but before that, there were some cab operators that would turn around and have a, a device on the phone to take payment. So you don't you don't need to have a, a very fancy um enterprise huge system to be able to take mobile payments and and i think the main thing to think about whenever you are looking at um taking payment because that is the biggest challenge for most online um, players is 
how well is it designed? Right? We shouldn't ever have to put information in that a brand already has. Yeah. If I'm already signed up with you, please don't make me type my name and phone number and my email in again. Like, don't. It's a waste of my time. It's annoying. And if I'm doing this on a phone, the keyboard's smaller and hard to type. Mm -hmm. And in this instance, typos matter. And you don't want things autocorrected because yeah. it'll mean your sale doesn't go through. So if you have to try too many times, you just abandon it, right? Yeah. Never underestimate the power of good UI UX design. Mm -hmm. You know, coming from the design, even though I did, you know, textile designs, coming from a design background, I say this all the time, there's no such thing as no design. Mm -hmm. There's good design and there's bad design. There's a lot of bad design. So really work with your technology provider. Is this the easiest thing to use? Does it work well on a phone versus an iPad versus a desktop? And how simple, how easy can you make it? Um, for people. And when you do that, your customers are going to be much happier. And by the way, you might end up using the same sales uh, point of sale device or a very similar one for your employees in store. And sometimes I'll go behind a till and I'll just shake my head at what the sales associates have to, have to through, do, yeah. have to go through, yeah. what they have to remember, what they have to learn, mm -hmm. click here, then do this, do that, do that. Da, 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 da. Oh my God, make it as yeah. easy for them as you make it for the consumer. Yeah. <laughs> I've been there, done that, felt the pain of that. Yeah, I know, I have to. <laughs> oh, God. Um, what is a luxury experience to you, Craig, both off and online, and do you think they should feel the same, or would you expect them to be the same? I do I do think they should be the same, and I think that that some brands struggle with defining how they can be the same. I think, um, so how do I define luxury? Um, first of all... It, it, to me, it's, luxury is something that it, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be rare, but it, I want to feel pampered. I want to feel special. I want to understand what I'm buying. If I'm going to buy a, 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 a jumper in a, in a store, it, it's meaningful to me to understand that the toggles on that were made by hand mm -hmm. or that um, it's not cashmere, it's yak, and why that's important to buy and where that was sourced. Um, or understanding the twist in the yarn and why it isn't going to pill. It's not enough to know it's cashmere or not enough to know it's yak. I want to know how to care for it. I want to know how it was made. I want, and, and then when I wear that item, I feel quite cocooned in all of that knowledge, but also the comfort of it, you know? So it, to me, I want to know as much as I can about the product that I'm buying because... I'm spending my money on it. And it's and that's an experience. And that experience translates into, you know, dining, it translates mm -hmm. into travel, hotels. So it's um, a real lifestyle kind of choice and, and yes. what you buy goes with that lifestyle. Yes. Mm. And you don't have to be a high net worth individual to have luxury in your life. Mm. You just don't buy so much or you just don't do so much because you prefer one holiday that's a five star star holiday where you have amazing food and amazing wine and a concierge service um or, or someone who's planned things out for you that show you the highlights of the area or whatever um or if you just want to relax you're left alone and you're able to relax and have a spa holiday or whatever it is rather than have several different weekend trips so you you can take it's budget holidays choice, if you yeah. like but i think anyone uh, okay maybe not everyone but because yeah. I'm sounding a little bit flighty <laughs> here, and I don't mean to, but but to me, it's about you can, when you have disposable income, you can choose how you, you spend can choose. It. Yes, yeah. exactly. And I think that we're all choosing experience over accumulation. Mm -hmm. 
Um, the more you own, the more you have to maintain. So why do we want to accumulate? It's just more you have to do, right? And space right? as well. And space, <laughs> exactly. And we're more and more and more crowded, particularly those of us who live in the city. But but I think online, the, the experience is very similar. I want to not have to fill in details. Like I said, I don't want to have to wade through a lot of things that are relevant to me. I don't want, if, I don't, if I'm not shopping for a woman, I don't want a lot of offers coming in about women's clothing, right? Um, I want things that are relevant to me, to my lifestyle. I want to be able to download things and read them on, in my spare time. I'm not necessarily going to do everything in the moment. So I want to be able to have an online and an offline experience. So again, um, you want to choose how you consume. Yes. Yeah. And to me, that's luxury because, mm-hmm. you know, I have a friend who works well, for major publication and as a fashion editor, I, I'll, I'll keep her anonymous. <laughs> And she said to me once, spontaneity is the new luxury. And I laughed and, and said, you're absolutely right. It is. To be spontaneous and to go off and do something, it yeah. really is a luxurious thing. If something online allows me to do that, I can find out how to get to that store or I can find out how to quickly order something and surprise somebody. It doesn't have to be luxury for me. I might want to send flowers to someone. If I can, if those things are made easier for me and done with quality, and I haven't yeah. said quality at all, luxury and quality to me are absolutely synonymous. So I want quality product. I want quality experience. I want to understand more about it. Then and and then I want it to be beautiful and lovely and pretty. And that's just how I am because I'm a visual person. Um, and that translates whether that's a physical product or whether that's an online experience or a book or a magazine. You know, getting swept up in it and becoming mm. part of it that to me is luxury yeah i do that with books right i still read yeah. i still have yeah. books i'm you know i'm mr get a mobile life but i when i sit down to decide i want to be swept up in a story it's a book for me it's not a kindle for me yeah. but i work on computers and stuff all the time so it sort of makes sense so it, we, we all take bits and pieces of it apps for good and the Women's Foundation are amongst the many organisations that you support. Can you tell us why working with these organisations is important to you? Wow. Well, I've been very fortunate in my life um, <clears throat> to have, you know, so many wonderful experiences and opportunities. And and like I said, I grew up in the countryside in Virginia. Um, and so I was lucky that I had opportunities um, and some opportunities I made. And I think that uh, giving back is super important. I just absolutely love Apps for Good. Apps for Good is a educational curriculum that allows kids to form groups and, and determine um, a problem amongst themselves that needs to be solved using tech. And what's super cool about this educational curriculum is that the kids now are learning how to, first of all, work as a team. Boy, we could all do better at that as adults. Secondly, um, public speaking, leadership, problem solving researching and then using tech and using mobile devices to say how can i then create an app to solve that problem and at the end of the and they pitch and they compete and lots of corporates wonderful wonderful corporate sponsors and at the end um their their apps are available for purchase the winning apps are available for purchase but what comes out of this are Kids are learning computer sciences without... I mean, who even wants to hear the word computer science? That's just nothing attractive yeah. about that, right? It's like actual practical experience and confidence experience. building and, and everything. Yeah. Yes, and authentic. Yeah. And, and, and authentic because they are solving a problem that's important to them. 
Um, and so it's empowering kids to know that they can do things and feel good about themselves doing things um, and doing it in a real in a real world way, which is really fun. And I suppose authenticity goes back to luxury. As far as I'm concerned, apps for good is a, is a super luxury experience when you go back to that previous question. The Women's Foundation, we are a, a giving circle, so we take membership dues and we give that money to charities who uh, empower women and girls in the UK. And very much like Apps for Good, it's about building confidence. It's about helping women and girls be the best that they can be. Um, and interestingly enough, Apps for Good um, has resulted in 52% of the graduates now are women, so women moving into tech. So funnily enough that both of these organizations help women, although that's not the aim of Apps for Good. Apps for Good is more about... <clears throat> Uh, the tech side you know, of it, yeah. Yes, tech and helping helping yeah. students access tech and yeah, yes. from a young age and make it more relevant, yeah. right? Um, but but quite interesting. But yeah, I mean, I believe in giving back, and I think that um, both these are obviously because I'm an advisor with both these organizations. I'm, I feel very passionate about the work that we do to help other people, whether that is using technology or just helping other people. Yeah. yeah. Creating technologies such as wearables, phones and computers uses raw materials, metals, plastic and a lot of manpower. How do you feel the increase in demand for technology that is often obsolete in a year's time can be balanced with having a more sustainable approach? That's an interesting question and um, there are some people that are doing some interesting work around this. I don't know if you've heard of free phone. Um, but Freephone is a in very interesting concept. They are, um, they've created now telephones that you can upgrade the hardware and service yourself. And in fact, they created the product because they have seen the, mm -hmm. the damage. Yeah. Yes, yeah. and the excess. Um, it's not right for me. I have to laugh <laughs> and say I can't see myself opening my phone up with a screwdriver and going yeah. in and fixing it. Um, but there are also ways to sort of recycle and upcycle. I mean, my, I, I have a friend who every time they buy a device, this is a very interesting concept if you have storage space to do so, he always keeps all of the boxes and the receipts and he knows that every so many years he's going to upgrade it. Mm -hmm. And so he resells his stuff rather than throwing in the landfill. Um, I have in the past donated technology to schools because schools can often use it. Um, and there are some amazing organizations, funnily enough, helping women, uh, victims of domestic violence. So you can donate your phones and they'll clear them out and then give those phones to women who need them as a lifeline. Yeah, so there's um, a lot more ways that we can actually use it rather than just putting it in the bin or just leaving it in the cupboard. Yes, yes. And and there are, like I said, with free phone organizations now that are building phones mm, and devices specific. that you can maintain yourself yeah. and, um, and have a longer life cycle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can often be found speaking or moderating at retail and tech events as you're a fantastic public speaker engaging any sleepy audience. Is this something that you find comes naturally to you or have you had to work hard at being relaxed with yourself and with people watching you? That's such a funny question. Um, <clears throat> it kind of comes naturally to me. Anyone who knows me sort of knows that. When, when I was in the first grade my very first report card said I socialized and talked too much so <laughs> and who knew it would become a career um when the teacher was just trying to help me not do so <laughs> um when I was in 
junior high school, I won a Dale Carnegie scholarship. Um, I did public speaking and debate when I was in high school. I very much liked it. Um, what, so what specifically do you like about it? I'm not. I've never been nervous like being in front of people. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. Um, that's been easy. I think the thing that I would be nervous about is if I were asked to get up and talk about something I didn't know. Mm, yeah, I mean that's quite right. quite different. If you yeah. if you're talking about what you know, mm-hmm. then you can talk about it. Right. And I've lectured at university. I've taught at university, um, both, you know, hands on and lectures as well. And so mm-hmm. so full on courses and, and guest seminars. And I like making eye contact with the audience. So as long as I can see who I'm talking to. And when I first did a, a webinar, it was very strange for me because I couldn't see the audience. You know, I have you in the room now, so I'm talking to you, although this is being shared with other people. I'm much better when there's, I can see who I'm talking with, whether it's in front of 500 people or whether it's, you know, and just standing up and, and, and talking one-on-one or whatever. So I'm... Yeah, but but practice. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, you talk about what you know. I mean, I, I don't get up and talk about the theater. I don't know anything about the theater. My <laughs> husband would be the first one to tell you I don't know anything about the theater. But <laughs> so I, I talk about what I know, mm-hmm. and that makes it enjoyable. And that so yeah, yeah. but a lot of training too, mm. and a lot of understanding who your audience is and trying not to talk too quickly, or when you know when your English is a second language, slowing down a bit. Um, when you're talking to creative people and not using IT yeah. acronyms, I mean, yeah. you know, so it's, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So a bit of practice, a bit yeah. of both, I guess, but yeah, it's kind but of. But you enjoy been, it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I do like yeah, it. Yeah. I do like it. It's fun. It's fun. Um, as we've said, you're an extremely busy man, always off on a plane, in a cab, between meetings, at events, yet you never carry a laptop, instead preferring to use your iPhone. Can you tell us a bit more about how we can all get a mobile life and why you call London home? Um, yeah, sure. I, I I think that, you know, the mobile device is what connects us all and connects us all to um, the outside world or connects us in the outside world. Um, I use my phone for everything. I, I, I jokingly say I, I bought my house from in the backseat of a taxi in London, and I did, but um, I couldn't have done it without, you know, resources. I couldn't have done it without enterprise, you know, strength solutions. There had to be a bank on one side of the Atlantic and a bank on the other side of the Atlantic, and I had to have resources. I had to have the ability to transfer the funds and all of that. But, well, that was the mobile piece. That was the connector. So I think I use my laptop. I don't have a fixed computer anymore. I use my laptop when I'm doing, um, when I'm writing. I use some of my writing, most of my writing when it's in depth. I use my laptop for things like presentations for heavy lifting. Mm -hmm. But most of what I do is connect people and connect ideas and connect brands and connect vendors to brands and help with strategy and help with thinking. And the, the most fluid way to do that is to be there in person and then to be able to take notes or to send notes or emails or texts or whatever and interact. And so that, to me, is the way we're working mm-hmm. as people, and that's where we're going to be better as you know employers, and that's where we're going to be better as brands. Mm-hmm. And so some of the work that I'm doing with some of my clients is to help them enable employees to work off of their mobile devices and free up mm-hmm. um, so they, they don't a have to be sitting at a desk b don't need a desk phone and c can be out in the field making decisions and putting that data into the phone that feed back to everyone else at head office 
Um, and even in meetings around product development, why shouldn't people be able to um, work done on touchscreens and why shouldn't that work then cascade back down to everyone's phone based on what your job role is with actionable items that you go back and do and if those are easy to input you input them in a phone right an app can't do everything on a desktop it's simple and it's easy when a desktop is translated down to an app and reduced in size it's a mess it's just a complete mess back to that concept of bad design an app has to be simple and it does one or two things Mm -hmm. right that's all call me a car pay for my car you know, book me a table, pay for my table, you know. And I think let that's, me, yeah, that's let me where look problems and add things happen, to my isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, what? That's where problems happen when people yes, try when and people, cram too much. Yes, when they it. try to make an app yeah. become an enterprise system. You know, it's not, an app's not a spreadsheet. Yeah. Not that spreadsheets are enterprise systems, but they're not. You know, you can do simple calculations on your calculator, but you cannot do big formulas and, and across you know, sample management in a spreadsheet on your phone. That's crazy. But you can use an app to check samples in. You can use an app to approve samples. You can use an app to assign colors to a sample. So we're at a point now where I think we probably are somewhere a tenth of the way of the journey of having a mobile workforce truly. We probably need about 90% more apps built around what we do in fashion brands and retail. But they're coming. And apps for good kids are building them, for yeah, example. Exactly, I mean, it's yeah. like, <laughs> yeah. you know yeah. what I mean? So they're coming fast and furious. And brands that think that digital is my e-commerce strategy or my social media strategy and those things I need to hire people for and they go off and do them are missing the point. Mm-hmm. It's one big behavior and it's mm-hmm. one big ecosystem. And you can't use the mobile phone if you don't have those big things underneath. If you don't yeah, have to them to tie that. back yeah. in. Yeah. 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 That brings us on nicely to what's next for fashion technology, retail, and Craig Crawford. <laughs> <laughs> Apart from your flight in like 12 hours time. Except for getting but on a yeah. plane tomorrow. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, what's next? So I think that we are in a super exciting place because the conversions of uh, gaming technology and uh, uh, cinema and film making technology and product development technology is happening. I think we're going to see more and more 3D simulated product, which I'm super excited to be involved in actually. Can you tell the difference between the real and the not real? And that then ties into allowing brands to see what buyers and what consumers like before they even commit to making samples. And that then allows us to look at data. And data is so, so important now. And when I say data, I hate saying big data, but it's kind of like all the data. It's not what sold last season and how do we change the color and what if we tweak it a little bit and what else is out there in market and let's see and now we've created a line. But it's instead understanding the lifestyle of your consumer, understanding where he or she goes, what they're looking for, so location-based technology both in the physical and the digital, because we now have two places we travel, yeah. and com- and marrying those with what we like and, what, more importantly, what we don't like will help brands serve us better and provide products that we really enjoy and that we want, things that we don't even know we want yeah. yet. And that's the exciting thing about fashion, right? It's inspiring people to take on something Uh, a a new personality a new look a new something that they haven't had before and if we understand better your lifestyle then we know the propensity for you to do that so really looking at data Mm -hmm. across everything Mm -hmm. not just your brand touch points but yes exactly Um, and not just social media some brands are still struggling to cobble together your online presence and your in-store presence Mm -hmm. and quite frankly 
in-store data is still the hardest stuff to harness. Mm -hmm. You know, your store managers and your and your your sales teams, yeah. they understand who's picking something up or looking at it or whatever. But we're at a point now where we could have we have technology that helps us understand what people are looking at, what they're trying on, what they're liking, what they're not liking. We know what they buy yeah. and we know what they return. That's not enough anymore. Yeah. And we are at a point now where between all of these things, this is all coming together amazingly. Daunting for brands that are still looking at e-commerce as one silo of revenue and stores as another and not marrying together the online behavior of a consumer. My gosh, to think about virtual product and, and what that means is mind-boggling to them, but I'm so there, so, so there. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what's <laughs> happening. What's next for me? Who knows? <laughs> I never know. That's that question when someone says, where do you see yourself in five years? I never thought I'd be in London 10 years ago. I thought it was going to be a six-month gig, and here I am, a citizen. So I have yeah. no idea. Um, but I'm on this journey, and it's super fun. So as long as it continues to be fun, yeah. and I get to work with people like you, I'm yeah. going to keep doing it. <laughs> I'm sure it will be. <laughs> Thank you so much, Craig, Thank for your you. time today. I know you've got to get on a plane and pack and uh, go to the gym and everything. <laughs> everything. <laughs> but, um, yeah, cool. Thank you. Take Thank care. you. Speak to you soon. Today we heard how Craig Crawford's exceptionally comprehensive view of fashion, particularly luxury retail and technology, has made him invaluable to the many companies he works with. He has a kind of holistic approach that is rarely seen in the technology world. He deeply understands and connects with people from the heart and not only has the big ideas, but knows how to deliver them. A true visionary. I look forward to working with Craig and enjoying much more laughter in the future. Coming up in our next podcast, we'll be speaking to Vicky Liu. With a strong respect for craftsmanship originating from her father, Vicky went on to create her luxury jewellery brand following training at Central St. Martins, Cartier and Swarovski. We'll hear how her grounded approach makes her a truly modern thinking jeweller. Come on the journey, keep listening, subscribe via iTunes and SoundCloud, join the conversation via Instagram at Black Neon Digital, Twitter at at Digital Neon and our website blackneondigital.com.